Section three of the Notebooks of Samuel Butler. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elaine Conway, England. The Notebooks of Samuel Butler. Edited by Henry Festing Jones chapter three lord what is man man we are like billiard balls in a game played by unskilful players continually being nearly sent into a pocket but hardly ever getting right into one except by a fluke two we are like thistledown blown about by the wind up and down here and there but not one in a thousand ever getting beyond seedhood three a man is a passing mood coming and going in the mind of his country he is the twitching of a nerve a smile a frown a thought of shame or honour as it may happen four how loosely our thoughts must hang together when the whiff of a smile a band playing in the street a face seen in the fire or on the gnarled stem of a tree will lead them into such vagaries at a moment's warning five when i was a boy at school at shrewsbury old mrs brown used to keep a tray of spoiled tarts which she sold cheaper though most of them looked pretty right till you handled them we are all spoiled tarts six he is a poor creature who does not believe himself to be better than the whole world else no matter how ill we may be or how low we may have fallen we would not change identity with any other person hence our self-conceit sustains and always must sustain us till death takes us and our conceit together so that we need no more sustaining seven man must always be a consuming fire or be consumed as for how we are in a burning fiery furnace all our lives for what is life but a process of combustion life one we have got into life by stealth and petitio principi by the free use of that contradiction in terms which we declare to be the most outrageous violation of our reason we have wriggled into it by holding that everything is both one and many both infinite in time and space and yet finite both like and unlike to the same thing both itself and not itself both free and yet inexorably fettered both every adjective in the dictionary and at the same time the flat contradiction of every one of them two the beginning of life is the beginning of an allusion to the effect that there is such a thing as free will and that there is such another thing as necessity the recognition of the fact that there is an i can and an i cannot and i may and 
an i must three life is not so much a riddle to be good to be read as a gordian knot that will get cut sooner or later life four life is the distribution of an error or errors five murray the publisher said that my life of dr butler was an omnium gatherum six life is a superstition but superstitions are not without their value the snail shell is a superstition slugs have no shells and thrive just as well but a snail without a shell would not be a slug unless it had also the slug's indifference to a shell seven life is one long process of getting tired eight my days run through me as water through a sieve nine life is the art of drawing sufficient conclusions from insufficient premises ten life is eight parts cards and two parts play the unseen world is made manifest to us in the play eleven lizards generally seem to have lost their tails by the time they reach middle life so have most men twelve a sense of humour keen enough to show a man his own absurdities as well as those of other people will keep him from the commission of all sins or nearly all save those that are worth committing thirteen life is like music it must be composed by ear feeling and instinct not by rule nevertheless one had better know the rules for they sometimes guide in doubtful cases though not often fourteen there are two great rules of life the one general and the other particular the first is that every one can in the end get what he wants if he only tries this is the general rule the particular rule is that every individual is more or less an exception to the general rule fifteen nature is essentially mean mediocre you can have schemes for raising the level of this mean but not for making every one two inches taller than his neighbour and this is what people really care about sixteen all progress is based upon a universal innate desire on the part of every organism to live beyond its income the world one the world is a gambling table so arranged that all who enter the casino must play and all must lose more or less heavily in the long run though they win occasionally by the way two we play out our days as we play out cards taking them as they come not knowing what they will be hoping for a lucky card and sometimes getting one often getting just the wrong one three the world may not be particularly wise still we know of nothing wiser four the world will always be governed by self-interest we should not try to stop this we should try to make the self-interest of cats a little more coincident with that decent people the individual and the world 
there is an eternal antagonism of interest between the individual and the world at large the individual will not so much care how much he may suffer in this world provided he can live in men's good thoughts long after he has left it the world at large does not so much care how much suffering the individual may either endure or cause in this life provided he will take himself clean away out of men's thoughts whether for good or ill when he has left it my life one i imagine that life can give nothing much better or much worse than what i have myself experienced i should say i had proved pretty well the extremes of mental pleasure and pain and so i believe each in his own way does almost every man too i have squandered my life as a schoolboy squanders a tip but then half or more than half the fun a schoolboy gets out of a tip consists in the mere fact of having something to squander squandering is in itself delightful and so i found it with my life in my younger days i do not squander it now but i am not sorry that i have squandered a good deal of it what a heap of rubbish there would have been if i had not had i not set about squandering what is left of it the life we live in others a man should spend his life or rather does spend his life in being born his life is his birth rose but most men miscarry and never come to the true birth at all and some live but a very short time in a very little world and none are eternal still the life we live beyond the grave is our truest life and our happiest for we pass it in the profoundest sleep as though we were children in our cradles if we are wronged it hurts us not if we wrong others we do not suffer for it and when we die as even the handels and bellinis and shakespeare's sooner or later do we die easily know neither fear nor pain and live anew in the lives of those who have been begotten of our work and who have for the time come up in our room an immortal like shakespeare knows nothing of his own immortality about which we are so keenly conscious as he knows nothing of it when it is in its highest vitality centuries it may be after his apparent death so it is best and happiest if during his bodily life he should think little or nothing about it and perhaps hardly suspect that he will live after his death at all and yet i do not know i could not keep myself going at all if i did not believe that i was likely to inherit a good average threescore years and ten of immortality we do not suffer for it there are very few workers who are not sustained by this belief or at least hope but it may well be doubted whether this is not a sign that they are not going to be immortal and i am content or try to be to fare as my neighbours the world made to enjoy when we grumble about the vanity of all things inasmuch as even the noblest works are not eternal but must become sooner or later as though they have never been we should remember that the world 
so far as we can see was made to enjoy rather than to last come and go pervades everything of which we have knowledge and though great things go more slowly they are built up of small ones and must fare as that which makes them are we to have our enjoyment of handel and shakespeare weakened because a day will come when there will be no more of either handel or shakespeare nor yet of ears to hear them is it not enough that they should stir such countless multitudes so profoundly and kindle such intense and affectionate admiration for so many ages as they have done and probably will continue to do the life of a great thing may be so long as practicality to come to immortality even now but that is not the point the point is that if anything was aimed at all when things began to shape or to be shaped it seems to have been a short life and a merry one with an extension of time in certain favoured cases rather than a permanency even of the very best and noblest and when one comes to think of it death and birth are so closely correlated that one could not destroy either without destroying the other at the same time it is extinction that makes creation possible if however any work is to have long life it is not enough that it should be good of its kind many ephemeral things are perfect in their way it must be of a durable kind as well living in others we had better live in others as much as we can if only because we thus live more in the race which god really does seem to care about a good deal unless in the individual to whom so far as i can see he is indifferent after we are dead it matters not to the life we have led in ourselves what people may say of us but it matters much to the life we lead in others and this should be our true life karma when i am inclined to complain about having worked so many years and taking nothing but debt though i feel the want of money so continually much more doubtless than i thought to feel it let me remember that i come in free gratis to the work of hundreds and thousands of better men than myself who often were much worse paid than i have been if a man's true self is his karma the life which his work lives but which he knows very little about and by which he takes nothing let him remember at least that he can enjoy the karma of others and this about squares the account or rather far more than squares it eighteen eighty three birth and death one they are functions one of the other and if you get rid of one you must get rid of the other also there is birth in death and death in birth we are always dying and being born again too life is the gathering of waves to a head at death they break into a million fragments each one of which however is absorbed at once into the sea of life and helps to form a later generation which comes rolling on till it too breaks three what happens to you when you die but what happens to you when you are born in the one case we are born and in the other we die but it is not possible to get much further for we commonly know that we are going to die though we do not know that we are going to be born but are we sure this is so we may have had the most gloomy forebodings on this head and forgotten all about them at any rate we know no more about the very end of our lives than about the very beginning we come up unconsciously and go down unconsciously and we rarely see either birth or death we see people as consciousness between the two extremes 
reproduction its base must be looked for not in the desire of the parents to reproduce but in the discontent of the germs with their surroundings inside those parents and a desire on their part to have a separate maintenance eighteen eighty thinking almost identically the ova spermatozoa and embryos not only of all human races but of all things that live whether animal or vegetable think little but that little almost identically on every subject that almost is the little rift within the lute which by and by will give such different character to the music eighteen eighty nine is life worth living this is a question for an embryo not for a man eighteen eighty three evacuations there is a resemblance greater or less between the pleasure we derive from all the evacuations i believe that in all cases the pleasure arises from rest rest that is to say for the considerable though in most cases unconscious labour of retaining that which it is a relief to us to be rid of in ordinary cases the effort whereby we retain those things that we would get rid of is unperceived by the central government being i suppose departmentally made we as distinguished from the subordinate personalities of which we are composed know nothing about it though the subordinates in question doubtless do but when the desirability of removing is abnormally great we know about the effort of retaining perfectly well and the gradual increase in our perception of the effort suggests strongly there has been effort all the time descending to conscious and great through unconscious and normal from unconscious and hardly any at all the relaxation of this effort is what causes the sense of refreshment that follows all healthy discharges all our limbs and sensual organs in fact our whole body and life are but an accretion round and a fostering of the spermatozoa they are the real he a man's eyes ears tongue nose legs and arms are but so many organs and tools that minister to the protection education increased intelligence and multiplication of the spermatozoa so that our whole life is in reality a series of complex efforts in respect to these conscious or unconscious according to their comparative commonness they are the central fact in our existence the point towards which all effort is directed relaxation of effort here therefore is the most complete and comprehensive of all relaxations and as such the supreme gratification the most complete rest we can have short of sleep and death man and his organism one man is but a perambulating toolbox and workshop or office fashioned for itself by a piece of very clever slime as a result of a long experience and truth is but its own most enlarged general and enduring sense of the coming togetherness or convenience of the various conventional arrangements which for some reason or other it has been led to sanction hence we speak of man's body as his trunk too body is but a pair of of pincers set over a bellows and a stoop and the whole fixed op upon stilts 
3. A man should see himself as a kind of toolbox. This is simple enough. The difficulty is that it is the tools themselves that make and work the tools. The skill which now guides our organs and us in arts and inventions was at one time exercised upon the invention of these very organs themselves tentative bankruptcy acts afford good illustrations of the manner in which organisms have been developed the ligaments which bind the tendons of our feet or the valves of our blood vessels are the ingenious enterprises of individual cells who saw a want felt that they could supply it and have thus won themselves a position among the old aristocracy of the body politic the most incorporate tool as an eye or a tooth or the fist when a blow is struck with it has still something of the non-ego about it and in like manner such tool as a locomotive engine apparently entirely separated from the body most still from time to time as it were kiss the soil of the human body and be handled and thus become incorporate with man if it is to remain in working order tools a tool is anything whatsoever which is used by an intelligent being for realizing its object the idea of a desired end is inseparable from a tool the very essence of a tool is the being an instrument for the achievement of a purpose we say that man is the tool of another meaning that he is being used for the furtherance of that other's ends and this constitutes him a machine in use therefore the word tool implies also the existence of a living intelligent being capable of desiring the end for which the tool is used for this is involved in the idea of a desired end and as few tools grow naturally fit for use for even a stick or a fuller's teasel must be cut from their places and modified to some extent before they can be called tools the word tool implies not only a purpose and a purposer but a purposer who can see in what manner his purpose can be achieved and who can contrive or find ready-made and fetch and employ the tool which shall achieve it strictly speaking nothing is a tool unless during actual use nevertheless if a thing has been made for the express purpose of being used as a tool it is commonly called a tool whether it is in actual use or no thus hammers chisels etc are called tools though lying idle in a toolbox what is meant is that though not actually being used as instruments at the present moment they bear the impress of their object and are so often in use that we may speak of them always were so strictly a thing is a tool or not at all just as it may happen to be in use or not thus a stone may be picked up and used to hammer a nail with but the stone is not a tool until picked up with an eye to use it is a tool as soon as this happens and if thrown away immediately the nail has been driven home the stone is a tool no longer we see therefore matter alternating between a toolish or organic state and an untoolish or inorganic where there is intention it is organic where there is no intention it is inorganic perhaps however the word tool should cover also the remains of a tool so long as there are manifest signs that the object was a tool once
the simplest tool i can think of is a piece of gravel used for making a road nothing is done to it it owes its being a tool simply to the fact that it subserves a purpose a broken piece of granite used for macadamizing a road is a more complex instrument about the toolishness of which no doubt can be entertained it will however i think be held that even a piece of gravel found in situ and left there untouched providing it so left because it was deemed suitable for a road which was designed to pass over the spot would become a tool in virtue of the recognition of his utility while a similar piece of gravel a yard off on the either side the proposed road would not be at all the essence of a tool therefore lies in something outside the tool itself it is not in the head of the hammer nor in the handle nor in the combination of the two that the essence of mechanical characteristics exists but in the recognition of its utility and in the forces directed through it in virtue of this recognition this appears more plainly this appears more plainly when we reflect that a very complex machine if intended for use by children whose aim is not serious ceases to rank in our minds as a tool and becomes a toy it is serious of aim and recognition of suitability for the achievement of that aim and not to anything in the tool itself that makes the tool the goodness or badness again of a tool depends not upon anything within the tool as regarded without relation to the user but upon the ease or difficulty experienced by the person using it in comparison with what he or others of average capacity would experience if they had used a tool of a different kind thus the same tool may be good for one man and not bad for another for one man and bad for another it seems to me that all tools resolve themselves into the hammer and the lever and that the lever is only an inverted hammer or the hammer only an inverted lever whichever one wills so that all the problems of mechanics are present to us in the simple stone which may be used as a hammer or in the stick that may be used as a lever as much as in the most complicated machine these are the primordial cells of mechanics and an organ is only an another name for it all organs and makeshifts i have gone out sketching and forgotten my water dipper among my traps i always find something that will do for example the top of my tin case for holding pencils this is how organs come to change their uses and hence their forms or at any rate partly how joining and disjoining these are the essence of change one of the earliest notes i made when i began to make notes at all i found not long ago in an old book since destroyed which i had in new zealand it was to the effect that all things are either of the nature of a piece of string or a knife that is they are either for bringing and keeping things together or for sending and keeping them apart and nevertheless each kind contains a little of its opposite and some as the railway train and the hedge combine many examples of both thus the train on the whole is used for bringing things together but it is also used for sending them apart and its divisions into classes are alike for separating and keeping together the hedge is also both for joining things as a flock of sheep and for disjoining as for 
keeping the sheep from getting into corn these are more immediate ends the ulterior ends both of train and hedge so far as we are concerned so far as anything can have an end are the bringing or helping to bring meat or dairy produce into contact with man's insight or wool on to his back or that he may go in comfort somewhere to converse with people and join his soul unto theirs or please himself by getting something to come within the range of his senses or imagination the piece of string is a thing that in the main makes for togetheriness whereas a knife is in the main a thing that makes for splitty uppiness still there is an odour of togetheriness hanging about a knife also for it tends to bring potatoes into a man's stomach in high philosophy one should never look at a knife without considering it is also a piece of string nor it a piece of string without considering it also a knife cotton factories surely the work done by the body is in one way more its true life than its true than its limbs and organisation are which is the more true life of a great cotton factory the bales of goods which it turns out for the world's wearing or the machinery whereby its ends are achieved the manufacture is only possible by reason of the machinery it is produced by this the machinery only exists in virtue of its being capable of producing the manufacture it is produced for this the machinery represents the work done by the factory that turned it out somehow or other when we think of a factory we think rather of the fabric and mechanism than of the work and so we think of a man's life and living body as constituting himself rather than of the work that the life and living body turn out the instinct being as strong as it is i suppose it's sound but it seems as though the life should be held to be quite as much in the work itself as in the tools that produce it and perhaps more our trivial bodies one though we think so much of our body it is in reality a small part of us before birth we got together our tools in life we use them and thus fashion our true life which consists not in our tools and toolbox but in the work we have done with our tools it is handel's work not the body with which he did the work that pulls us half over london there is not an action of a muscle in a horse's leg upon a winter's night as it drags the carriage to the albert hall but is in connection with and part outcome of the force generated when handel sat in his room at oxall and wrote the messiah think of all the forces which that force has controlled and think also how small was the amount of molecular disturbance from which it proceeded it is as though we saw a conflagration which a spark had kindled this is the true handle who is a more living power among us one hundred and twenty-two years after his death than during the time he was amongst us in the body two the whole life of some people is a kind of partial death a long lingering deathbed so to speak of stagnation and nonentity on which death is but the seal or solemn signing as the abnegation of all further act and deed on the part of the signer death robs these people of even that little strength which they appear to have and gives them nothing but repose on others again death confers a more living kind of life that 
they can ever possibly have enjoyed while to those about them they seem to be alive look at shakespeare can he be properly said to have lived in anything like his real life till a hundred years or so after his death his physical life was but as a dawn preceding the sunrise of that life of the world to come which he was to enjoy hereafter true there was a little stir a little abiding of shepherds in the fields keeping watch over their flocks by night a little buzzing in knots of men waiting to be hired before the daybreak a little stealthy movement as of a burglar or two here and there and an incoation of life but the true life of the man was after death and not before it death is not more the end of some than it is the beginning of others so he that loses his soul may find it and he that finds may lose it End of section three